0: In death, there are no accidents, no coincidences, no mishaps, and no escapes. What you have to realize is that we're all just a mouse that a cat has by the tail. Every single move we make, from the mundane to the monumental, the red light that we stop at or run, the people we have sex with or won't with us, the airplanes that we ride or walk out of, It's all part of death's sadistic design, leading to the grave.
1: Because in the end, no one can escape death. And today may be your day to die.
2: Welcome to Now Playing's Final Destination Retrospective Series.
1: Every survivor died in the precise order they were meant to die in the accident.
3: So now does that mean we all die?
2: In anticipation of the release of Final Destination 5, join Arnie, Brock, and Jacob each week as they watch and review another film in the Final Destination series. Great. I'm glad I canceled my golf game for this. This podcast will contain spoilers and harsh language. Listener discretion is advised.
0: Hope you have fun.
2: Today we're talking about Final Destination 2, starring Ali Larder, A.J. Cook, Michael Landis, James Kirk. Not kidding. His <laughs> name is James Kirk.
1: If my name was Kirk, I'd have a son named James.
2: Justina Machado, and directed by David R. Ellis. This is Rock, co-host of Now Playing. This is Jacob.
1: This is Arnie, and how can I have a second Final Destination? Is it a finaler destination? More final?
2: It's like the never-ending story. Well, if it never ended the first one, how are you gonna have a second one?
3: I'm just looking forward to Final Destination 4, Live Free, or Final Destination.
2: So we're here with the sequel to the successful Final Destination, and they decided to go away from Plane Crash And this time it is a car crash.
1: Well, Jacob brought up last time how we weren't sure if this film would have gotten a release post 9-11. Perhaps it's best to stay grounded for this next film as it was coming out in 2003.
2: Yeah, car crashes happen every day. This car crash, though, was, I understand, based on a real 125 car pileup or something in recent memory when this movie was released.
1: What I found interesting is the original creative team is pretty much gone this time. And in its place is the director you mentioned, David R. Ellis. I've actually had the pleasure of meeting David Ellis, got a chance to interview him for Snakes on a Podcast. So if that doesn't tip my hand, he's the director of Snakes on a Plane. Not the greatest director in the world, but a nice guy. He's a great stunt director.
2: So we are back with The Final Destination. And why don't we start off with a plot summary so we can get right into talking about what this movie is all about. Arnie?
1: It's been one year since the explosion of Flight 180 depicted in the first film, and the events from that film have become something of an urban legend. With some people believing it's a strange coincidence that most of the survivors from Flight 180 died in strange accidents shortly after the flight, others thinking there's something supernatural and sinister at work. But none of this is on the mind of Kimberly Corman, who's traveling with her three friends to Daytona for a wild vacation but on the road trip, she has a vision of a terrible multi-car truck accident that ends up killing her, her friends, and many others. Shaken by the vision, she stops her car, stranding several of the people who were involved in the accident behind her parked car on the on-ramp. Police officer Thomas Burke tries to figure out what's going on and doesn't believe her ranting until the accident occurs right in front of them, and despite Kimberly's car being stopped, during the wreck, it's still hit by a semi-truck killing her three friends. Kimberly is saved at the last second by Officer Burke pulling her out of the way. But Kimberly's vision has thwarted death's design, and now the nine people saved by her vision are being picked off one by one. Aware of the legend of Flight 180, Burke and Kimberly look up Clear Rivers, Allie Lauder reprising her role from the first film, who's put herself in a sanitarium after Alex's death a few months prior. Yes, sorry Alex fans, but he was brained with a brick. Clear at first refuses to help Kimberly, but then checks herself out and takes Kimberly and Burke to meet the mysterious mortician William Bloodworth, Tony Todd back again for one more scene, and Bloodsworth reveals how new life can thwart death's design. And Kimberly and Burke believe that if Isabella, a pregnant woman who was in Kimberly's vision, has her baby, then death will no longer be coming for them. So the survivor, including school teacher Eugene and drug addict Rory, come together to stay safe until the baby's born. And they also realize they have something in common besides that car accident. Each of them are alive today due to events caused by the survivors of Flight 180. For example, Burke was supposed to be on a call where his partner was killed, but he was busy cleaning up the body of Billy Hitchcock. Kimberly was supposed to go out with her mother, who was killed by carjackers, but she stayed home that night enthralled by a news story on Todd's suicide. So, despite the car wreck, Death is actually still cleaning up the mess from Flight 18. Burke has Isabella taken into protective custody so nothing can happen to the mother before the baby's born, but the deaths continue, and the group rushes to the hospital where Isabella is giving birth, but the car crashes into a farmyard puncturing Eugene's lung, and Cat is killed when an airbag pushes her head into a PVC pipe. A news van at the farmyard almost hits the farmer's son, Brian, and if you wonder why the fuck I'm bringing that up in the plot summary, I'll get to it. (laughs) But he's pulled out of the way at the last moment by Rory, who's then killed by a flying barbed wire fence when the SUV explodes. At the hospital, Isabella gives birth, but Kimberly then realizes that in her vision, Isabella never died. So the baby was not the new life needed to thwart Death's design. An explosion in the hospital kills Claire and Eugene, and Kimberly decides the only choice is for her to kill herself to save the others. So she steals an ambulance and drives it into a lake, conveniently right outside the hospital, but is rescued by Burke and resuscitated. And it's said that her resuscitation is the new life needed, and she and Burke seem to have escaped death. But sometime later, they return to that farmyard where Kat crashed her SUV for a cookout with the farmers, And the grill explodes, killing the farmer's son, Brian, as credits roll.
2: So we start this movie much like we started the last one when we had all the weird things in the bedroom and they did it again. This time, though, they have the old wonderful movie exposition device of a news report catching us all up while we do it. So it was a little more interesting this time for yours truly.
1: In fact, I dare say they didn't do it again because this time what they're doing is catching the audience up who may not have seen Final Destination 1 for three years. On the events of Final Destination 1, there's no hanging bodies out of place in Kimberly's bedroom. There's no barbed wire fence on a train set or anything. They just catch us up. The credits may have been boring, and if that's what you're saying they did again, then yes, they did that again. But they did nothing else the
3: same. They had weird stuff all over the bedroom they were highlighting. Yeah, but it was all misdirection. They got a Pinocchio doll, so I'm thinking, okay, someone's going to get strung up like a puppet. No. I mean, maybe there's the hook scene that we'll get into, but... You got impaled by a nose? No one gets impaled by a nose here. I mean, you'd have to really stretch the metaphors here. You have the spider crawling around. I'm like, okay, someone's going to die from a spider bite. They even have it, like, almost bite Kimberly at the beginning here, laying on the bed. But no, she gets up. We talked about with the first one, they play with your expectations. And while these things paid off in the first one, now they know you're expecting it. So it's all about screwing up your expectations here.
1: I said in the last podcast that I hoped in the future films, they might see what they got right and build on the formula. And I think they realized that like the three of us, audiences really clicked with the death of the teacher and with all the misdirections with Todd's death. And so that's what they're coming into this with. They know that we want to be toyed with, and that's what they're doing here. We think we're seeing instruments of death and forebearers of doom, and we're not. It's like, fooled you. I got that in the rest of the movie. I guess I didn't pick up on it here.
2: So, the next scene, we have the girls getting ready to go on a road trip. The best friend is a father's worst nightmare, talking about all these funny things, a kid around with a father. I thought that was kind of funny. That uh, kind of humor came right away for me. I thought that was kind
1: of a cute thing. Now, it's been a while since I've seen this movie. I think I saw it once on video when it first came out, and not again. So, when I see the four people in the car, my thinking is, wow, this is a much smaller group than last time.
2: Yeah, I had the same thought.
1: Only three people can die. <laughs>
2: Also, didn't you think, though, that they're going to pick up a hitchhiker who's going to start cutting himself and have weird pictures in his pockets and foreshadow what was going to happen? Did you get a Texas chainsaw at all with the four people in the car, Arnie?
3: No. There was weed, but no, I was... (laughs) Well, that's the thing that stuck out to me was this group, because I thought, okay, these are the four people we're going to follow in this movie. And it's like, there's no Stifler in this film, but it's very American Pie, the horny teenagers and the pot. It was a very different tone than the first film right off the bat.
1: But what got me is when they're on the road, and there's all this stuff going on, and it gets really weird, doesn't it? It was reminding me of either a David Lynch movie or R.E.M.'s Everybody Hurts video. Where you get to see all these weird things in the car, where like the kids slow motion ramming two cars together, and another kid's like drumming with water bottles, and you're just seeing all these strange things that, alright, I'm a kind of person who, I drive down the interstate a lot, I drive the interstate every day to work, I look at the people around me, they're all very dull. There's never something so interesting as drumming with water bottles and crashing cars together while looking at me out of this dystopian vision.
2: Also, this is the most unsafe highway in the world. You have people doing drugs, drinking while driving, and then the girl isn't even wearing a seatbelt <laughs> until halfway through the
3: scene. Are we even surprised that there's going to be a pile of... I mean, there's a cop! And they're still just smoking marijuana and doing cocaine and speeding and drinking alcohol. I live in L.A. I travel for my job. When there's a cop, everyone slows down to 45 miles an hour because you don't want to get a ticket.
1: doesn't stop anyone here. No problems. I also like how they flip the joint out the window and it catches Cat's car on fire. Of course, we don't know who any of these characters are at this point. But it, like, hits the dry leaves, and I thought that was going to cause the accident. It's again the misdirect. You're wondering, what's going to cause the accident? Is it the coke head? Is it the weed?
3: There's the transmission fluid that's leaking, yeah. There's all kinds of things that could cause this accident.
1: Turns out to be the caffeinated trucker with the coffee. That was the danger.
3: So we talked about, you guys really like the airplane explosion. How'd you feel about this pileup?
1: Fucking A loved it. I loved it, too. This was so much even better than the airplane. They went all out. And I knew I loved it. The moment the first death occurs, which is Burke, the the log bounces, goes through his windshield, and when it comes out the other side, his brains are on it. Yeah, I love that first death. I gotta
3: say, I agree with you guys here. This was well shot, and it was so graphic and so well done, I was almost ready to turn the movie off. Like, I felt like I was watching a Faces of Death video. Like, I don't need to see real people dying. And this pileup. It's not this funny cartoon violence anymore. I mean, there's some serious stuff going on and it goes on for a long time.
1: It does. And that's what I love about it. It's so intense. I could see myself if I was not living in the quiet Midwest, making noise at a theater while watching this because it's brutal, but it's so fast paced and it's kinetic. It's truly again. I said it about the airplane, but man, this is a grab you by the ball scene. I was
2: instantly into this movie because the first few minutes of this movie, all the kids and all that kind of stuff. I was just biting time because when this scene came, I was so into this movie that motorcycle one is what burned on my brain because you think he got out of it and then it gets slammed. Everything about this scene worked. It was really well done. I cannot praise it higher than we already are. It's just this is what we needed to get us into this movie and it helps push us along into what's gonna come later. It's a really great
3: scene. And I gotta say, this scene was so well done that it fools me. When you find out that this was the premonition, I thought they were gonna drop that. You get the one scene, Arnie, you mentioned the kid crashing the two toy cars together. I thought, okay, that was the warning because it still shows Kimberly and her friends are still alive in the car. They're all beat up. So I thought maybe they get out of there and that's when it would start. I was so involved in this pile up. This time it actually did fool me. I should have known this is the sequel. They're going to do the same trick. I figured it out the first time, but this time it grabbed me in and it got me.
1: That's hysterical because this time I knew it was the vision because of the last film. And I'm like, all right, it's not real, but. The airplane scene was the big showcase scene of the last one. This was the big showcase scene of this. And I will say, in Now Play, we've never done a Matrix retrospective, but we love to talk about how shitty the sequels were. But one of the good things about the second Matrix film was that car chase at the end. It made no sense, but it was a good scene. It was an exciting scene. And that scene was second unit directed by David R. Ellis, who brought that pedigree to this scene here. And he built on it. And I dare say this shitty little horror film, Final Destination 2, has a car scene that outdoes any in the Matrix.
3: And I got to say, this is how they marketed this film. I remember the trailers for this film, and it was all building up to this big car scene. Like, they knew this was where they had to grab you.
1: And it did. I mean, right here, I realized they've upped their game because the plane was great. But it kind of looked cheap, right? Some of the blue screen and things. We saw the wires. Here, I didn't see the wires, and I actually did go and watch the making of, and so much of this was practical, and so well done, and so well orchestrated, it was like a ballet of carnage. Yeah, it was very well done. The only problem I had with the car crash, the only problem, cars don't explode every time they collide. In Hollywood,
3: they do. It was like an episode of Chips. I don't even question it anymore. I don't gripe about it. I just expect it. Arnie, every car is blowing up, and yet cars are still driving down the road. I see a bunch of explosions. I slam on the brake. But no, people just keep traveling towards this big fireball. It doesn't make sense, but it's Hollywood. I accept that cars blow up. You you barely touch them. They'll blow up. So when we get the fake out, and she stops the
2: car on the on-ramp, and then the car accident happens... What occurred to me is, all these people avoided being in the car crash, but did people who were not supposed to die, die because these people were not there? Yeah, Death is going to be super pissed off
1: now. All right, let's hit this, because I want to bring this up, and this is a good place, is Death's design and how these people tie back to Flight 180. When I found out that all these people lived because of some tangential thing to Flight 180, I actually put in my notes... This is like some butterfly effect bullshit. And when I wrote that down, I didn't know this film was written by the two assholes who wrote the butterfly effect.
3: I don't know if like's the right word, but it didn't bother me. This was a sequel. You talked about Saw, how it's more like a television series and they're all connected. And that's what I liked about this is just like a Showtime or HBO series that you could sit down and watch. And each season builds off the last. So I didn't mind that. If you're going to do a sequel have a reason to do a sequel, even if it's tangential like this reason here. I like that at least they tied this together. It's thin, but I like that they did it. Later in the
2: movie, we find this out. We don't find it out here, but when we did find out about that, when they're all confessing to each other about their connection to 180, I put in my notes, is this connection necessary? And I don't think it is, but as Jacob said, I didn't really mind it. I understood why they did it, especially in the first sequel. They want to connect it somehow to the first film and besides having two of the actors come back, they found a way to tie everyone in. I think it's kind of far-fetched that everybody had it, but I see why they did it.
1: But here's the thing is, it raises questions it doesn't need to, because we find that out like three quarters of the way through the movie, right? Were you guys not enjoying it for the first three quarters? Did you see this car crash and sit there with your arms crossed going, I'm not going to have fun, motherfuckers? No, we, by the time they reveal they're connected to Flight 180, we don't give a shit anymore. It's unnecessary, and it raises questions like the one that started this tangent, Brock, of were all the people involved in this car crash survivors due to Flight 180, or is this collateral damage to Death's design? I shouldn't need to ask these questions because this movie's more fun than that, but by making these people survivors of 180, it makes you ask, yeah, how many other lives were claimed because of this whole 180 thing?
2: And to go further with that, Arnie, if you think about it that way, Death had to pull a lot of strings to get all of these people on the same road at the same time to get into that accident.
1: Maybe Death didn't pull any strings. Maybe they just all happened to be there and he went, Opportunity! Well, that's what this film's all about,
3: though, is are there coincidences or is it all some design? So I guess when it gets revealed, it piques my interest that maybe they have some answers that didn't get answered in the first film.
1: And to that end, here we have Kimberly the Psychic. And we don't know why, but at least they added a couple of scenes of her being like, Mom, are you psychic? The things I kind of wanted to see in the last film, at least some coming to terms with her psychic prowess. But it's still all very sketchy as to why this is happening. But it doesn't seem to make the missteps of the last one until it brings up the Flight 180 bit. Here, I'm kind of going with the psychic is the natural enemy of death. Because the psychic tries to save lives and death must go reclaim them.
2: She seems to have more visions too, kind of like Chuck has those splashes.
1: Flashes, yes.
2: And which is funny because Tony Todd was in Chuck. And it really kind of works a little bit more here because she does have them continuously and she misinterprets them later. And so it kind of works a little bit more because it wasn't as random.
1: I agree. I like that quite a bit. I think it worked better here. Overall, I think most of it worked better here, including the opening crash. And I was shocked to shit that Kimberly's friends die because when the friends died, I'm like, "Well, who we'll all survived?" Because you see the other people briefly on the road, but they don't spend a whole lot of time with Rory snorting and coke, and he seems like the type of person who's just there to die in the car crash. He's a cokehead, right? I mean, we get to see other characters who never come back: the little kids smashing the cars never come back, the biker with the titty shot never comes back. So the people who do come back, I didn't know who they'd be. So we have our survivors: got Burke. Kimberly, Eugene, the teacher, Rory, the cokehead, Kat, the
3: bitchy lady, is what I wrote down for
1: her. <laughs> Nora and Tim, the mother and son, and Evan, the recent lotto winner. So the first of our deaths is Evan.
2: With our first blatant product placement of the series. Which would be? The giant iMac box he's carrying up the stairs.
1: Okay, I honestly thought that was because it was an iMac. Everything in that scene was i. The refrigerator magnets spelled I... They actually said, hey, E, but then the H fell into the Chinese food, very clearly leaving E, Y, E. Oh, because he gets stabbed in the eye uh-huh. see. Uh-huh. I
2: see what you're saying. I thought here was a blatant product placement, but now in hindsight, we were talking about
1: that to make sense. It could be both. There's no reason it couldn't be. both. That is true, too. Yes. <laughs> I'm not going to stand here and defend the filmmaker's integrity to not take <laughs> Apple's money. <laughs>
2: <laughs> the next scene, though. Kimberly does research
3: clearly on her Mac computer. Well, every computer in Hollywood's a Mac, though. I mean, you see that on TV. Every computer's a Mac. That is true. when
1: Apple gives them money, we see the Apple. And when Apple doesn't, they put some weird sticker right there. So perhaps Apple did help fund this film. I didn't read the credits, I'm going to be honest there. But yes, he was buying the iMac. I love that he won the lotto. He had the Rolex, the Ring, And I'm guessing they saved some money
3: on this scene because it looks like they used an apartment that they would have shot for Saw. Very grimy. I was wondering if Death was going to kill Evan through, I don't know, mold? Splinters? Yeah, it, it was a very dirty, ugly apartment.
1: I love that he was a lottery winner, and I played the answering machine message. just like, I heard about your lottery winnings. I'm like, and he's living in this shithole? He must have won yesterday. How is he even getting the cash for what he's got? And then they're like, $250,000. I'm like, okay, you're not moving if your lotto winnings are 250000 Yeah, how disappointing was that when we found it was only two
2: hundred and fifty grand? And I got the same impression that he just won recently because he's living in this shithole, and he got some of the money to buy all this junk. But I thought it was really entertaining... That he's in this shithole, but he has to buy this stuff first. You know, never mind improving your quality of life. You gotta have the
3: cool stuff. But that's how actual lottery winners do it, though.
1: (laughs) I think that was very real.
2: And I don't know about you guys, but when I cook fish sticks in a pan, I always take my shirt off. I don't know about you guys. See,
3: I thought that was weird, but I could see that character doing it. And here's the thing with this movie. Like, every single little thing they do, you're wondering how that's gonna play into their death. So I'm like, okay, he's taking his shirt off. That's somehow going to play into it, or they want you to think it. I mean, they love doing misdirects here, so for this film, it makes sense.
1: Hey, they got me, because I thought his death would involve that nipple ring. I thought it would catch on something, or somehow that nipple ring would be his death. But also, he's a pretty well-built guy. We got the female titty shot earlier. Here's the titty shot for the girls. I don't think it was quite as satisfying for the ladies.
3: He he didn't even have a six-pack. He could not be on Jersey Shore with that body. He had no definition, yeah.
2: I thought, though... When he pulled his hand out of the drain, I thought it was going to be a garbage disposal kind of thing,
3: and I'm surprised it didn't go there. See, I thought this was the most convoluted thing. Okay, so we're going to have Evan win the lottery, so he buys a bunch of nice bling, so his ring can fall down the garbage disposal, so he could put on the watch, will then get his hand stuck in the garbage disposal, which will then somehow get turned on and, and chop up his hand. I'm like, this is the most convoluted thing ever.
1: <laughs> but again, this is like the teacher's death last time, isn't it? Because there's so much going on around him, and he's cooking, too, which is what really reminded me of that teacher's death and you're like what's gonna kill him he's put a magnet in the microwave is that gonna do it his hands down the garbage disposal is that gonna do it what's gonna get him and that's th- the whole scene is and again i'm back having fun just like i was the first time and especially since this guy's a lotto winner who just bought a whole bunch of cool shit we ate him right we want that rolex so he should die And there's a fire. So I think the fire's going to get up, but he has a fire extinguisher. So then he runs to the fire escape. Again, this guy is smarter than your average horror victim. And death closes the windows, just like we saw with Todd last time death is doing stuff. And I'm thinking, okay, he's trapped in the apartment. Now he's going to burn. He's smarter than me. He smashed a window. I'm like, yeah. Yeah, I agree. I'll tell you what the scene did really right for me. He gets out, the thing explodes, and he survives. And I'm thinking, he's going to make it. I really believe it. I'm thinking that they are fucking with us to such a degree that he's going to make it to regroup with the others.
3: I'm right there with you, Arnie. I'm like, maybe he's going to get away. You know, he's on the fire escape. Maybe it's going to skip him and go to the next person.
1: And then when the ladder falls that first time, again, this is where I thought he really was going to get out of it because the ladder stops like a few inches from his head, a big fooled you moment, and they know what they're doing. David Ellis was masterful here because I probably took a big breath and went, ah, the suspense was over. And as soon as I did that, bam,
3: there goes his eye. Yeah, slips on the spaghetti and then gets his eyes gouged out. I love that he got
2: out of the apartment of death. I thought that was really fun. The way they buttoned it was fun. And it really was just overall a satisfying scene.
1: And then we get our second death because death is going in reverse this time.
2: I love how they plant that the kids going to the dentist and immediately I'm like,
1: oh, my God, they're going to kill him in the dentist chair.
2: That's like a horror. People really don't like the pain of the dentist. What a brilliant idea.
1: But yeah, dentistry. Ugh, terrible, terrible, terrible. And again, here they do screw with this because there's all the misdirects. There's the water on the ground. And I honestly thought this would be a double death. I thought mother and son would die simultaneously because they appeared to in the car.
3: Yeah, they got so much going on. They got the water from the fish tank and the electricity out by the mom. And then you got the son and he's got to do the laughing gas the drill ugh. and then he had the fish fall in his mouth yes i mean that's not even violent but that had me in horror just this kid suffocating with this rubber fish in his mouth it was just
1: oh i love all the X here but you know what i love even more is how tim bites it when he finally does <laughs> Because you've got Kimberly and Burke. Kimberly has a vision of pigeons, which I'm thinking the birds, right? I don't know how pigeons could be dangerous, but I thought it might go Hitchcock. Well, and they had the
3: birds keep running into the window in the dentist's office. I'm like, are they going to freak the dentist out and cut the kid? Like, how do these birds play into the death?
1: Why is the dentist renting that office? The dentist actually says to Tim, I don't understand how they expect me to work. Who are they? It's his office.
2: (laughs) The pigeons, I thought, was what he was saying. I thought he was (laughs) lamenting the pigeons. How
1: did the pigeons expect me to work?
2: I don't know if you guys have ever walked down a busy street in Manhattan when there are a bunch of pigeons around and something spooks them and they fly up all at once right in front of you. There is real fear that they're going to fly right into you and impale your eyes and like hurt you that way.
1: I'm sorry. I've run into fields of pigeons like Tim did here when I was in Manhattan. I had no fear of impalation.
3: (laughs) I gotta say, this happened to my wife just the other day. We are walking out of our apartment. There was a pigeon sitting there, and it let her get really close. She's like, look how close. And then it jumped up at her, and she flipped out. She thought it was going to attack her. So, yes, I agree with you, Brock. So we know Kimberly had a premonition of pigeon. Her and Burke go running to find Nora and Tim to warn them, and they see him walk out of the dentist office, and Kimberly says, watch out, the pigeons, or something like that. And Tim goes and runs into the pigeon's, which caused his death. And we're going to see later on, these premonitions almost seem to lead into these characters' deaths. So is death causing these premonitions to fulfill this design? Is it something that all folds in on itself? Of course, nothing pays off. Maybe this will get explored in Final Destination 3, Destination Harder.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so Kimberly, at this point after the pigeon death, decides to go visit Claire Rivers. Is Clear needed in this movie at all? Because I say no.
1: It opens a problem for me. We're now a year past 180 and death is still cleaning up after itself. Theoretically, couldn't we have Final Destination 80 in the nursing home? Where the ones who still escaped Death's design are now in their 90s?
3: Arnie, this is what I said in the first podcast. Everyone's going to die eventually, so it's stupid that Death has a plan, period.
1: It's stupid that Death is still working on it a year later. If Death is trying to do it in a timely manner...
3: It could make someone accidentally start a nuclear war and just
1: (laughs) finish his plan right there. Then he could take a vacation. He doesn't even need to make somebody accidentally do it, right? He could close windows, he could flip switches, he could turn keys.
2: Well, I thought he was going to give Clear a bunch of paper cuts, the clippings on the wall that's how easy it could have been
3: yeah she was trying to be so safe i'm pretty sure those were like push pinned into the wall i'm actually thinking this during the film like isn't she afraid those push pins are somehow going to attack her
2: where are the scissors that she used to cut those articles out couldn't she get stabbed by those well, all,
1: right, all right all right in the filmmakers defense they actually used that little safe poster stuff in the set design to hold up the paper so that there would be no needles i did like the scene where Kimberly's being taken to see Clear, and it's almost like the Hannibal Lecter thing, right? Do you have any staples? Do you have any shoelaces?
3: I like the payoff, because at first I thought, oh, it's because she's going into a mental institution. Then they're like, no, that clears request.
1: Yeah, she's afraid of you.
3: Like, I like that payoff. Yeah, that was good.
1: Yeah, I like that, because, I mean, most of the time when you're asking that, it's because the patience is the danger. I thought that was a clever turnabout of the expectation. But is Clear needed in this film at all? Yes, and I will explain why. Please do. Because in the last movie, I had this huge problem. Why did they break in to see the mortician? Why were they wanting to see Todd's body? It wasn't really well explained. How would they shoehorn Tony Todd in there to give them the explanation about Death's design and all this? It didn't work for me. Here, by bringing Clear back into it, it's still on a shaky foundation of that first movie, but now you have somebody who's lived through it, and it makes sense. She's like, all right. This is happening again. Let's go see the mortician. That makes sense to me versus them randomly breaking in or happening to be at a funeral and Bloodsworth is just hanging around.
2: Okay, that does make sense how they get back to him. I just felt that Ali Larder in this movie, the character, it felt like it's a sequel. We got to bring back some people from the first movie. Who can we get? And the mortician, they could have found a way to shoehorn him in there, aren't they? the first movie. The connection here is more realistic, if you will but I still don't think Clear is necessarily needed because they can figure out everything they figure out without her.
1: I don't know. The order of deaths would have been a bit more of a stretch that she would just suddenly figure out that it's reverse. You know, in the last movie, Alex needed to see the construction of the fireballs bouncing. Here, I like the fact that Clear is here to say to these characters what we, the audience, already know. Let's keep it moving It's not like this is a group of friends and Clear is an outsider. These are all strangers thrown in a situation who are being attacked by death. And Clear is just another one of them. And it fits to me in this rogues gallery. She did not stick out like a sore thumb to me. Did we need her? Again, I think we needed her for some storytelling convenience to bring somebody in to know these things and say them to the audience and the other characters while they're there. But... Beyond that, I don't think she hurt the film at all. Do you?
2: Well, I thought her performance in this was weaker. I thought she was like in hero's mode here. She did a lot of eye acting. She kept breaking eye contact, and looking to the side, looking back, and did a lot of annoying tics that she has as an actress. I thought her performance wasn't as strong. I remember the last time I actually praised her. But I see what you're saying about the convenience of everything. I just felt she was redundant. You didn't really need her because everything was being figured out anyway. But did she hurt the movie? No. But she didn't really give it an extra boost that you would think that character could have given because they that's why they brought her back
3: I just like that she was back, like I said earlier, when they try to tie the whole 180 flight and these were survivors. I like that it gives the illusion that this sequel isn't as arbitrary as a lot of sequels seem to be, just whoops, that was a surprise hit, we better come up with another story. So that's why I liked her here. It's at least giving the illusion that there's a bigger story here.
1: And honestly, Jacob, you said you wanted a sequel that tied back to the first one. Clear was all I needed to tie back to the first one. That was enough for me.
3: Yes, I didn't need a big one. Yeah, one character is all I
1: I didn't need the Flight 180 happen to save all their lives in the butterfly effect. I just needed Clear, and that was enough for me. Clear, Death, and Tony Todd. Tony Todd really was what I wanted in this film to come back, because he's the mysterious guy with the answers. A sequel is a great chance to explore that, but they don't. They again give him one scene, and he just gives them the whole pregnancy out. But it's all just an interlude. Fortunately, I want to say right now, this interlude didn't bore me either. The introduction of Claire, the return of Tony Todd, it kept things moving. Whenever the deaths weren't happening in part one, I was like itching my skin to get out. Here, I was entertained. You said the performance by Allie Larder wasn't as strong. I actually liked her character better here than in the last film where, yeah, she was the strange metal worker who wants to break into morgues.
2: But, as I said before, they already explained everything that the mortician explained in the first movie earlier in this movie. So, they didn't really need the mortician to explain that again.
3: This is the sequel, Brock! We need more explanation and more twists and all that.
1: We walked out of the last film complaining, giving it weak recommends, because the story was lackluster and had big gaping holes. The sequel's the chance to fix that.
2: Does this guy explain why Kimberly's having premonitions?
1: No. But he gives them what the last movie didn't have, which was an out. The last movie, it was see you soon. This time, it's the cryptic new life can reset death's list, but be careful because you could unravel everything.
2: Which is somewhat similar to what they cut out of the first movie.
1: Yes, it's the whole baby thing, which honestly, all right, if I'm a woman and somebody says to me new life can invalidate death's list, my first thought is, yeah, I'm going to get knocked (laughs) up now. (laughs) I'm serious. That's what I thought. She's going to bang the cop. Yes. Why not? Seriously, that's where I went. Unless she has such career plans that a baby would be worse than death, get laid.
2: Well, that would be Kat's character. Probably wouldn't want to do that. But Kimberly, absolutely. I completely agree with you, Jacob.
3: And were you guys still remembering the pregnant lady at this point that we saw at the beginning of the film? I'd completely forgotten her. Me too.
1: Here's the thing is, she was in the room in the police office after the accident and then when they gather the survivors, they never think to include her?
3: No, she wasn't there. She never showed up, and they state that.
1: Oh, okay, okay. I thought yeah. She wasn't oh. there.
3: See, I remember the pregnant lady, and so when they said new life, I immediately thought of her. I knew it couldn't be that simple, <laughs> you know, because I know how movies work, but that's who I immediately went to, and I knew she was going to be coming back in this film.
1: But it's all just a small break until we get back to the deaths, and next on Death's List is Nora the Mom, who is rightfully broken up about her son's death and pretty willing to die. And she gets decapitated. My favorite part of the scene is not the death. It's the creepy guy smelling her hair while holding a box of prosthetic arms.
3: (laughs) Arnie, you talked about David Lynch at the beginning of the film. Here's another David Lynch moment. Just a guy with prosthetic arms for no reason.
1: I would probably let that elevator go. I'd probably be like, we'll take the next.
3: But they also had that whole thing with the cop's
2: closet full of junk that you thought something was going to happen to Eugene.
3: Oh, that moment was hilarious. I love that. He opens the closet because they're trying to safety proof the apartment. He opens that closet and they just do all these shots of sharp objects lying around. I love that. You know, it took me back to Alex in the cabin. Great scene.
2: It was really kind of fun. That was before the mother died in the elevator.
1: And Eugene tried to kill himself, but can't because he wasn't next on death's list.
2: I was counting the bullets to see which one, and then all six didn't go.
1: But yeah, it's when Rory tries to put some
3: item in the closet and everything falls down, that's when they get their next premonition of the man with hooks, because there's some shadow there and it looks like a guy with a bunch of hooks. And Rory saw it too, not just
1: Kimberly, right? Yeah, that was all very odd that other people are now having visions. Well, they had a speech where they said, we all got to look out for signs. Yeah, but seeing a man with hooks in tree branches is more like reading tea leaves than seeing signs. If Highway to Hell had played every time on the radio, that's a sign anyone could notice. Looking at a shadow and seeing hooks, that's something else.
2: How'd you guys like the elevator death?
1: It was lackluster compared to the others. It seemed middling and unnecessary. It was kind of funny because, I mean, that is a genuine fear that some people should realistically have. You know, if you're ever in a trapped elevator, another now playing safety tip, we'll continue this to our final destination, the reason you don't get out is because if the car drops, you're going to get bisected. And that's what happens to her here.
2: You know, they tell you that on New York City subways that those doors on the subway are not like elevator doors. When you put your hand in there, it can realistically get caught in there. And it's a realistic fear to not stick your foot or your arm into a closing subway door. But there are certain doors you know you can do it with, and elevators, of course, you do. This elevator seemed to be a pretty strong elevator.
3: Well, they set it up earlier that it doesn't work quite
2: right. They sure did. I kind of like the reaction of Eugene in the elevator to the head, and also the two girls walk back all bloodied.
3: Yeah, the aftermath was much funnier, if that's a good word. But I like that more, where he sees the head, and then the two girls covered in blood. Works a lot more than the actual watching her struggle and having her head
2: torn off. And it's funny, when Cat comes back with the blood all over her, the line she says is, Can we find the pregnant lady now, please? I laughed out loud.
1: And I love that they take her into police custody and she's held captive by Chief Tyrell from BSG. Have the
2: same note. I said to myself, this must have been filmed in Canada because he's Canadian and they filmed BSG in Canada.
1: And I love how demanding she is that she gets the cop to take her to the hospital against orders. What I don't quite understand as much is all of the group of survivors rush to the hospital to watch her have the baby.
3: Well, yeah, they want to make sure the baby lives, and Kimberly keeps having premonitions that somehow something's going to happen to Isabella, the pregnant lady, so they want to be there to save her.
2: To make sure the baby is born, so their curse is lifted.
3: And they have
1: another car accident. (laughs) Well,
3: yeah, they actually crash into her without even knowing it.
2: This is the scene I was thinking, if someone hit the brakes, (laughs) and just stopped their car. Everyone seemed to keep the car
3: moving and careening out of control. Well, it's a good thing this didn't happen at the beginning of the film, or else both those cars would have blown up, so...
1: And it stabs Eugene in the stomach, and you think somebody's going to die, but nobody does. Eugene actually just gets taken to the same hospital, coincidentally, where Isabella's having the baby. It's a small town. There's only one
2: hospital. Kat, who was driving the car, is trapped in the vehicle with that log. She survives.
3: Well, I love the reveal, too, of the PVC pipe that just misses her.
1: Yeah, that's great. But you know what I love even more? is when the airbag goes off. Oh, I love this scene. That is this movie's bus. In the last movie, Terry gets slammed with a bus. You don't see it coming. Here, Cat's trapped. There is absolutely no prelude. She's telling the firefighters to be quiet. They hit the car. Boom, airbag. And I thought it was a gag. I thought it was like, ha ha, the airbag went off. I didn't even think that it knocked her into the pipe.
3: I'm right there with you, Arnie. I thought they're playing the airbag goes off gag that you see in a lot of movies. Nope, she's dead. It's just out of nowhere. I will third that notion. I thought it was a gag. And then when they pull away with the bag, deflates.
2: You see her impaled. I'm like,
1: oh, what a payoff! It was great. And even better is the next one, Rory's death. I like this one so much. First of all, I like how it's leading up to it, because Rory realizes he's doomed. He gives Kimberly his keys, like, hide my porn and my drugs from my mom. And then the SUV explodes. (laughs) And I don't know what kind of Rube Goldberg bullshit this is. Because the news just shows up, like, two minutes after this car accident, uh, film a random
3: car accident they hit their gas tank i don't know never been on a farm didn't grow up on farms apparently farms have lots of pvc pipe laying around enough to guide gasoline because
2: to- you thought that gasoline was going to blow up cat in the car yes you didn't think yes. she was going to get it from the pvc pipe so it was a nice misdirection a lot of fun playing with the audience here and how she gets it and so that pays off for rory's death which i thought was for death for the first time in all these movies is very efficient that he gets two with one accident. Rory's death for me was laugh out loud to fall funny. I
3: laughed, laughed, laughed. For me, this is like the best death of the movie. You know, you get this barbed wire fence flying across, cuts him up in like three or four different pieces. Love this scene. Highlight
1: of the film for me. Obvious, obvious CGI, but I didn't care because it's a comedy, you know? Yes, yes. much of a comedy as it is a horror. And so the obvious CGI doesn't even take away from the fact that his intestines are flopping around and his arms falling off and... It's just black comedy. Oh, God. Great, great death. Unfortunately, that's like the last good moment of this movie. Now we have to get through the end.
3: Yeah, now we got to get to this whole new life thing.
1: So they finally get to the hospital. Isabella gives birth, but then Kimberly finally realizes only like an hour late into the movie that Isabella was going to survive the accident anyway.
2: Yeah, I didn't like that didn't feel right based on how much they were putting into her surviving the accident for a lot of that movie, and then to find
3: out that she was wrong then. It wasn't a satisfying conclusion. And this is what I have to wonder about. I wish I just knew who was given the visions and the premonitions. It would clear up a lot of the confusion for me. Are they supposed to help? Are they supposed to forward death's plan? I don't know.
1: See, I took it as Kimberly just didn't realize it, but she realized it there. I didn't take it as she had a second vision that showed Isabella living. I took it as she suddenly, oops, by the way, I forgot. I was like, what? How do you forget?
2: Kind of a key detail that we've all been hinging on for the past 20 minutes of the movie.
1: I am fine with the MacGuffin being a misdirect. That's a great cliche that's used time and time again. But the way it's revealed to be the misdirect here is the wrong, wrong way to go. I would have rather had somebody else. Clear have an empathic feeling. You know, she was getting those last movie. So why not have something like that? The reveal that it's not the baby or may not be the baby. Bad. And then Eugene and Clear die in a giant explosion because this film's lacking in explosions at this point.
2: They play around with Eugene death trying to get him and an emergency backup battery for his breathing mechanism that was keeping him alive
3: or whatever that was. Yeah, as soon as the baby was born, the backup battery decides to start up.
2: Yeah, so, like, death almost had him, and then he escaped. But when Clear opens the door, the explosion happens
3: because of oxygen rushing into the room? Well, no, the the oxygen was filling the room, and when she opened the door, it set off a spark. It pulled a plug that set a spark off, which lit the oxygen. I
2: thought that Clear was going to sacrifice herself. That's a cliche of movies like this.
1: Well, Brock, you were only about 60 seconds early in the movie, so don't worry about it. Because then Kimberly decides she's going to sacrifice herself.
2: <laughs> so Kimberly decides that she needs to sacrifice herself, that the vision she's having are actually her. I thought that was her the whole time. I don't know why she thought that was somebody else, because the times they flashed that last vision of her going into the lake... I thought that was her hair. I thought that was her POV. I didn't realize that was a mystery to her.
1: Well, more importantly, I don't understand how any of her visions have really helped them so far, other than the whole car crash thing. And I don't understand how her killing herself is going to thwart Death's design. I mean, if we learn nothing from Clear, it's that Death's going to just circle back around. And at this point, no offense to anybody, but Kimberly is killing herself, the only remaining survivor... Is the cop right
3: that's it arnie here's the bullshit of this whole you got to commit suicide to bring new life i don't get what that means but didn't alex give his life to save claire at the end of the first film and he still dies
1: if you want to get technical i don't know if his heart ever stopped whereas here it's implied that she was resuscitated from death i don't understand why suicide doesn't make any sense yeah when the mortician says new life that means killing life isn't gonna help and at this point it's a one for one loss if she was killing herself save a group of 10 that's noble she's killing herself just for burke at this point (laughs) this is where the movie falls apart is it this is not well explained in it at all and i would have preferred it if she was just killing herself because she couldn't take the pressure anymore she couldn't bear to wait to see how she was gonna die and she was just gonna take it into her own hands that i would buy more than what we're given let's get to the last scene because it doesn't make sense either so, a period of time has passed since she found new life, and they go to the farmer on whose land they crashed for a picnic? Because the
3: punchline's good. I admit, it makes no sense.
1: Yes, it is a great punchline as Brian, who was saved by Rory, goes to the gas grill and blows up. <laughs>
3: I love that. I knew it was going to happen, and it's a better punchline than the first one because you wanted Carter to die in the first one. Here, it's an innocent kid, so it's so much darker and just blacker comedy, and it's this huge fireball explosion. I loved it. It was great. I knew it was coming, and I was smiling when it happened. So, Jacob, Arnie, do you recommend Final Destination 2? Jacob. You know what? This is still not the perfect film. We've talked about all the plot holes. It's a sequel, so the plot holes, I guess, are more and bigger than the first one because they decided (laughs) to expand on the mythology. And that frustrates me. Either leave it a mystery, Or explain it. Give me some answers. I want answers by this second film now. I'm really into the story. I want to know what's going on. What are the rules of death? What are his plan? I don't get that. And it's frustrating. But you know what? I enjoy this one more than Final Destination 1. But it's still a weak recommend because they keep opening plot lines that they're not filling up. They're not explaining. So I still can't give it that strong recommend that I want to. But it's still an enjoyable film as long as you find cartoon violence funny. It's a weak recommend for me.
1: Arnie. See, I don't think the plot holes this time were as big. I think Clear's presence filled most of those holes. Are there some? Yes. Does the ending kind of lose its luster? Yes. We've been doing now playing so long, we're getting into these gradients of recommend and not recommend. (laughs) I'm going to recommend this film. It's not going to be my highest recommend ever, but this is a fun movie that I enjoyed from start to almost finish. It was a fun, fun time. If you enjoy gory laughs I recommend this for you better than the first easily
2: I'm not going to weak or strong recommend this one I'm just going to recommend it although I did not like Ali Larder's presence in this movie as I stated on this podcast which is the one thing I disagree with Barney I'm right there with him I think what they did was they took what works in the first one they brought it back again bigger and better for the most part I do say that this movie is getting it right they understand the gimmick and what the fun part a final destination one was and they brought it here best they can yes this is not a perfect movie there are problems with it but the bottom line is this is a fun movie to watch and it does move and for the most part you will have a good time so yes i recommend it this one's good and hopefully they continue this as the sequels go on typically when as the series get on they don't but I really do hope that this one understands what we're coming to a Final Destination movie for, and they deliver in Final Destination
1: 3. And in continuing with the talking about DVD features on this, it has a choose your fate where you pick a card and it tells you your fate. But remember how the last one told me I was going to die on March 9th, 2019 at 12.02 a.m.? The second disc has told me where and how. I'm going to be struck (laughs) by lightning on a golf course. I'm wondering if the next one's going to tell me more.
2: I don't want to say I look forward to hearing about more details of your death next episode, but I'm strangely interested in all of this. (laughs) So you can find out more about Arnie's death if you join us next time for Final Destination 3 on our next podcast.
1: And don't forget, this weekend, we're doing a weekend of release review of Cowboys and Aliens, Stuart, Jacob, and I going to that Wild West far, far away, I guess.
2: All right. Looking forward to that. We'll
1: see you soon.
0: Shows that death has a new design for all of you. Now you have to figure out how and when it's coming back at you. But remember, the risk of cheating the plan, of disrespecting the design, could incite a fury that could terrorize even the Grim Paper. And you don't even want to fuck with that, Mac Daddy. Thank you for
2: listening to this episode of Now Playing.
0: Well,
3: that went well.
2: Remember to come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week as we review another Final Destination film.
1: I was meant to see this movie.
2: And in the NowPlayingPodcast.com archives, you can find reviews of other films such as Saw, Friday the 13th, A Nightmare on Elm Street, Halloween, Terminator, Star Trek, and many more, as well as individual movie reviews such as Man-Thing, Inception, and The Human Centipede. This Ah. is the beginning of the end. And while at NowPlayingPodcast.com, be sure to join our forums, where you can discuss our movie reviews with other listeners. Hey, don't knock my fan base. You can also follow Now Playing on Facebook and Twitter, where we post announcements of new episodes and where the hosts post mini-movie reviews. Links to our social media pages are at nowplayingpodcast.com.
1: Don't worry. Once the others are dead, it'll come back for you.
2: Support from listeners like you help keep Now Playing operating.
1: Fuck, I saved them!
2: You can find a link to donate using PayPal at the bottom of our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. You can also show your love of Now Playing podcasts by shopping in our store, where you can buy Now Playing t-shirts, coffee mugs, mouse pads, and much more. The link to our cafe press store is available on our homepage.
3: You're dead! You're dead! And you ain't taking me with you!
2: Now Playing's Final Destination series is edited by Samuel, Tim, Brock, and Arnie. Let's go take a shit. Now Playing is not affiliated with New Line Cinema, the Final Destination series is the property of New Line Cinema and no infringement is intended.
3: That is some spooky, psycho babble.
2: The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Venganza Media Incorporated. Shh. You're Now Playing is a Venganza Media production. Copyright 2011. All rights reserved. I'll see you soon. So we're here with the sequel to the successful financial destination.
1: Uh, (laughs) That's that's New Line's goal, financial
2: destination. (laughs) To the successful finance... I did it again.
1: That's what I understand, too, from IMDb. Yes, that's
2: exactly where I got that from. I'm not going to try to hedge my bet on that, folks. It's exactly where I got the information.
1: I've actually had the pleasure of meeting David Ellis. Got a chance to interview him for Snakes on a Podcast. So if that doesn't tip my hand, he's the director of Snakes on a Plane.
2: He also did Homeward Bound 2, Lost in San Francisco. Thank you, IMDb.
1: But he did Snakes on a Plane, (laughs) and I I got to meet him. He's a nice guy. Not the greatest director in the world, but a nice guy. He's a great (laughs) stunt director. Sorry, David.
2: We lost one like on Facebook right (laughs) now.
1: (laughs) I do have one insert.
2: Then why'd you make (laughs) me transition?
1: (laughs) I I just got to my plot summary and realized I had two notes.
2: It's all part of Artie's design. Death is designed, Jacob, and you're toying <laughs> with death right now.
1: Oh, but I love Rory. I mean, Rory's doing coke while driving with his knee. The cop comes up, he puts the hands on. The cop passes, he's like, "Yeah, you gotta fucking pull me over." Like, who hasn't done that? Who has not been like, "Oh god, oh god, oh god"? Yeah, I never are you done gonna cocaine do? while driving. Yeah, I, Arnie I stuff Arnie my Arnie coke out. at
2: home, Arnie. I don't do it on in the car.
1: I mean, the attitude. I know. The
2: I know. Top. I'll have a little fun with
1: you. And how can the movie possibly maintain this, though? You know, you gotta worry about blowing your load in the first act, right? It's just, you gotta try As to... As a cons- man, I
3: don't worry about that. It, <laughs> it's usually the woman I'm with that needs to worry about
1: it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, to continue that metaphor, this was the money <laughs> shot, though, wasn't it? You know, if you're ever in a trapped elevator, another now playing safety tip. We'll continue this to our final destination.
3: Is this from your other (laughs) uncle that's an elevator (laughs) (laughs) repairman?
1: My other (laughs) father-in-law. Everybody just head stop. Don't talk anymore. Just everybody head stop.